0: You're worthy. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, God, you are worthy. Hallelujah. We honor you. We bless your name. We welcome you in this place. Hallelujah. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 We acknowledge you. Lord, we engage you. Lord, we indulge in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of these bodies. Thank you for all of these warm bodies. Thank you for the blood running warm in these veins, God. Hallelujah. Thank you for every inhale and every exhale. Hallelujah. Thank you for every follicle of hair. Thank you, Jesus, for every blink of every eye in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we don't take any of it for granted. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It could be another way. Hallelujah. But you saw fit to lift us and raise us up another day, God, and we are grateful. Hallelujah. We remember when it was another way. Hallelujah. Anybody remember when you couldn't get up on your own? Anybody remember when you didn't have money for that bill? Anybody remember when you were hungry? Anybody remember when your home was cold? Hallelujah. Anybody remember when you were alone? Hallelujah. 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 Remember when that work environment was hostile but you had to keep going back? Hallelujah. Remember those attacks that were coming that were not warranted? Remember? Does anybody remember? Do we remember? Guess what? We still here. And it's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Things change, things change. Just like they can get worse, they can get better. Just like they can get worse, they can get better. And they do get better. Keep living, keep, keep breathing, keep pushing, keep trying, keep showing up, they get better. And even when the thing gets worse, you're not by yourself, and the onus is not on you to fix it. So it still gets better because you still win. Yeah. Hallelujah, we still win. We still win. We still have victory. Hallelujah. 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 What one act in history? Somebody tell me, scream it out. What one act in history gave us victory? What happened? What happened after the cross? And the resurrection means what? He he what? Well, he got up. He is alive. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We have the victory. He is risen. It's not Easter Sunday, but it don't have to be. Every day is Easter Sunday. He's still risen. He didn't lay back down. He didn't go back in that grave, in that tomb. He He didn't go back. He's still alive. He's still risen. He still is the victory, and he is still giving you the victory. He is still giving us the victory. He is still offering us the victory. We just have to take it. We just have to accept it. So this morning, we're going to do what he did. We're going to come alive because we are alive. We're going to come alive. We're going to come alive. So this is what I need everybody to, to get it in you right now. This song that we're about to sing got a little energy to it okay and since everybody is breathing everybody is up and everybody is present and everybody is visible we are going to celebrate the fact that he is is risen that he is alive and that we are alive in him and because of him y'all ready to come alive everybody we ready to come alive all right let's come alive come alive come alive hallelujah hallelujah. can y'all clap with us
1: the mood, the dance, the sing. Do you see celebrate. what I see? Hallelujah! Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Do you stirring six feet under. About to be another resurrection
0: Thank God for the victory, hallelujah! Hallelujah! Bless your name, Jesus. Glory, 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 glory. Bless your name, God! Hallelujah! 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 We honor you, Lord. We bless your name, Jesus. Glory to your holy name. You are holy, you're holy, Lord. Bless your name, Jesus.
2: Almighty who was and is and is to come. Daddy, the whole earth is filled with your glory. Let this room be filled with your glory. Let our lives be filled with your glory. Daddy, Jesus, we love you. We need you. We're crying out to you today. I thank you that because you were raised from the dead, no weapon formed against us shall prosper in the name of Jesus. We we praise you that you were risen and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and were given the name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that you're the king. Cancer has to say you're the king. COVID has to say you're the king. Depression has to say you're the king. Addiction has to say you're the king. Oppression has to say you're the king. Loneliness has to say you're the king. Suicidal thoughts has to say you're the king. There is not one thing over which you are not the king. We bless you. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you. Bless the name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, church. Speak to your soul today. Say, soul, get stirred up today. Soul, stop being silent. Soul, we can't stop praising and we got to praise his name. So, today I will bless the Lord with all my soul. Jesus, come and be welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Move in power. Set people free. Glorify your name. Let your kingdom reign. Let your kingdom come, Father. Let your will be done in our lives today. Come on, church. What a moment that could be. Can we just take a moment and say internally to God, ourselves, Father, have your way in me today. Just take a moment. Father, have, a way, have your way in me. Let your kingdom come in my life today. I hold nothing back. I'm willing to go all in with you. Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. In our lives, in this church, in our city, in our nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. We believe it's not on our goodness. But everything is based in yours. So with faith today, we can easily say amen to these things. So in faith we say, so be it. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, can we give God one more shout of glory? One more praise for who he is. Lord, we love you. Let's join in with the angels. Hallelujah. Woo. Oh. Oh. I don't know about you, I, I, love, I love what we just sang this morning. I love the proclamation. Do you know when you worship, it's a proclamation? It's a, it's a heart confession. It's not just rhyme uh, and rhythm. It's not just words and prose set to a beat. It's a proclamation, a prayer, a confession of who God is. Today, we, we profess that He is resurrected. We don't serve a dead philosophy. Like, we're not trying to just get a good religious work out of life. Man, we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I love what Shayla said. He didn't go backwards. He is constantly moving forward. How good is our God? How good is our God? And today, I don't know where you are with him, but can I really encourage you to trust in the goodness of our God? And trust that you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I know, we're, I know if you know Jesus, you'll see him in the land of heaven. But that's really not the question this morning because many of us have a lot, lot more tread on the tires. Come on, we've got a long journey ahead. The question isn't are we going to see him in the land of heaven because that was done at the cross. The question is will we see his goodness in the land of the living? That's how good our God is. That it's not an either-or with our God, it's an and both. You will see Him, the goodness of heaven, and you will see his goodness in the land of the living. I'm believing that for you today. I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. The same Jesus that rose from the dead is the same Jesus that can intervene in your circumstance as well. And he wants to because he loves you. And so do we. We are really thankful that you're here this morning. We're grateful that you got up and decided to be a part of community today. Decided to come in and be a part of family today. And so if this is your first or second time here at Connect, welcome. It's so good to have you today. Thanks for being a part of it. It's great to have you as our guest today. We hope that you pray and prayerfully consider making this your home. And, because there's some really cool people in this room. There's some really cool people who are in this room. But there's really cool people at this church. And we, look. We, we want to, we really do, we say it all the time, we want to learn how to do life together. Because if we're honest, we don't do life together very well as a people. But that's what church is. How can we actually carry each other's burdens? How do we stand next to each other and fight for someone's healing? How do we stand together in faith, even when we may not know their name, but know that God knows their name? When we stand in faith for that person. That's doing life together. And that's what church is all about. And it's not about the songs that we sing, it's about the one we sing them to, In his name's Jesus. And so today, really glad that you're here, not just to be here, but so that you can encounter him today. So as you're being seated, can you just take a moment, as, co- as comfortable as you can be, to give somebody next to you a high five, a fist pump, an air fist pump, just say hi to somebody, get to know them for a moment, get out of your seat for a second, it's okay. Your seat will be saved. Just go walk back. Say hi to somebody. Mm. Pastor Ron, it's good to see you. Sweaty already. That's probably not a good sign. That concept gets me, church, every time a million angels fall face down on the floor. You know, last week we talked about how the angels sing holy to the one who they don't benefit from. They they talk to the Lamb about the Lamb of God, His salvation, who they can't be saved from. They don't do it to receive anything from Him. They do it because of simply who He is. What an amazing thought process. For all of eternity... Millions of angels will bow down and say, holy, worthy is the lamb for no other reason other than because he is. Wow, what could we learn from that? If we could set our spirit free to just say, God, I'm not going to just praise you because of what you do for me. I'm simply going to praise you for who you are. What a God we serve. Talk about serving community just before we hop into the Word. Uh, give a shout out to yesterday, our uh, vacuum crumb food truck went back out. Again, serving community, serving food. It was awesome. We served, uh, wait, we, we, it was chicken and waffles. Come on, chicken. Like, it can't be bad when it's chicken and waffles. It's fantastic. We serve so many people. And the best news, 21 people made decisions for Jesus yesterday. 21 people in New Jersey. Like, this ain't the Bible Bell, It's not the South. It's 21 of your neighbors, your friends, people you brought. They came to know Jesus. And people ask me all the time, is the, ch- is the truck about building the church? No, it's about actually introducing people to Jesus. Man, if they find a church, wherever they find the church, let them go to the church that they feel like God can grow them in. I'd love them to come to connect, but at the end of the day, it's not a mechanism. It's not a tool of promotion. It's a mechanism of love. How can we love people in our world? So if you served or prayed or give, thank you. You're making a difference in our world. You're really making a difference. Thank you. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Because I'm ready. Uh, this is, if you, since you brought your Bible, can you open it with me to Luke chapter 23? Luke is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's written by Luke, who's a disciple of Jesus. He's a doctor. He's a historian. He's a phenomenal writer. And if you're looking for a title to the message this morning, it's the backside of forgiveness. And today we're going to talk about something that's really difficult for all of us, right? Because like the moment that we talk, we say forgiveness, there's automatically, probably for most of us, a twinge somewhere in our belly. Have you ever wondered why it's so difficult to forgive? Or why there are some people who don't think it's a big deal at all. You should just forgive anything and everything. Or others of us that have become so hurt and so filled with pain that we get mired down in our lives in that offense. How come we can't just kind of forgive and forget and, or just move on when the pain still remains? Have you ever thought to yourself... Man, have I truly ever really forgiven that person? Because every time I think of the moment, it still hurts. I mean, how can I forgive them when they're acting like nothing even happened? I'm not sure I want to forgive. Because I'm not sure I really want them back in my life. I mean, I understand the theology of forgiveness. But why is the working out of it in my real life in a real way so difficult all the time. If you've ever felt like that, if you've ever had any of those thoughts, you're in the right place today. You're among the right crowd today. Because I don't know about you, but this is something that is real that that I have to work with every day. This is not a sometime, occasionally, once in a while kind of moment. Forgiveness is something that is real, that affects me, it hurts me, every day. And I think one of the greatest struggles as disciples of Jesus is navigating this thing called forgiveness, right? Navigating it. Because it is difficult. And of course it's difficult. Like, let's just take a moment and realize why it's so difficult. Of course it is. First of all, we have an enemy that hates the fact that we could be close to Jesus. That, that, that once is doing everything in his power to keep us in offense, keep us hurt, keep us in bondage to our past, separated from intimacy and freedom in God. Of course we do. Add on top of that that you and I live in a culture that on one hand says anything should go. And then on the other side, on the other hand, is so established in cancel culture that if one person makes one strike, they're out forever. Mix on top of that our fallen nature. This thing that's inside of us, whose current constantly ebbs us away from intimacy with God, right. constantly moving us away from holiness. A soul that constantly is remembering the pain of the moment over and over again. Smells trigger it. Sights trigger it. A voice triggers it over and over again. We have triggers that trigger our soul. Add on top of that, my friends, a Christian piety that theologically knows that we are sinners, but conveniently cleans us up from being the monstrous offenders that we actually are. Of course, it's difficult. This mix all this together in one big pot, and what do we get? I mer- the murkiness, the difficulty of walking this thing out. That's so basic to who we are. In Fords this week, which is our men's discipleship groups, we have men and women's discipleship groups, Fords and shoulders to shoulder that meet throughout the week. They're done via Zoom meetings, off of teaching from video, so that we can have people to walk this thing out with. Because it's not about Sunday morning event; it's about learning to do this together. But this week, we're talking about Ephesians 4.32 that says, be, be, uh, be, kind heart- be kind to one another, be tender hearted, and forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Wouldn't it be so nice if that was easy? Right? We'd be like, yeah, amen, that's good. But here's the truth. This is the cornerstone both of becoming a disciple of Jesus and living as a disciple of Jesus. And it's found in the text we're going to look at this morning. How God in Christ forgave us and how that forgiveness came to us from the cross to us and that God is calling us to allow the flow through us into the crowd around us. Look, the truth is, man, this is hard. It's hard to do. It's a daily battle. I've had to grow in this. Not theologically. From the moment I got saved, I understood theologically people should be forgiven. Can someone say amen? Like, I didn't have to work it out theologically. I had to work it out in the pain of my life. In the pain of it. See, the truth is that forgiveness is rarely theoretical, and it always has faces attached to it. It did for Jesus, and it will for us. When he looked out at the cross, he saw your face. And he saw the face of the person who would abuse you. And the person who would deny you and betray you and who betrayed him. Real faces. And why did he do it? For two reasons. Because he loved people and he loved the Father. He said, I'm going to love people and I'm going to honor the Father. And it may cost me everything, but I understand that that everything is an expression of love for my God. And maybe this morning, this will help us, encourage us to walk through this. Just two verses this morning and verses you probably know really well. Luke 23:33 says this, and when they came to the place that is called the uh, called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus cried out and said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." We know that he was not simply talking to the two people on his right and left. We know he wasn't just talking to the Roman soldiers that had nailed him to the cross. We know he wasn't just talking to the crowd that had just a few moments before cheered, crucify him. Those words echo down through the the time, uh, the corridors of time and space to you and I today so that we could say amen because over us he is saying, Father, forgive them, forgive them. I see their faces, forgive them. I know what they've done, forgive them. And we say hallelujah because those words come to us. I think the beautiful thing about Jesus Is that Jesus walked in forgiveness before the cross, during the event of the cross, and even after the cross. And yet, in this moment in our lives, we tend to only see the front side of forgiveness here. How it applies to us. And we miss the beauty and the challenge that it presents to us as we walk this life out with others, in forgiveness, so that we can glorify the one who gave it to us. Because, my friend, there's not just simply a front side to forgiveness, there's a back side to it as well. In in, in one of my Old Testament classes in seminary, uh, one of my Old Testament professors, he said this, the only book in the Old Testament that is inspired is Amos. And I was like, you got to explain and he said, it, because, uh, because Amos is the only book that shows God as a God of grace. Every other book in the Old Testament shows God as a God of judgment. And because we have to view the Old Testament through the cross, and we know that Jesus is grace, and the cross is about grace, the only book then in the Old Testament that shows the real God is Amos. And everybody was like, yeah, that's good. And I was like, whoop. No, um, excuse me, sir. There are two sides to the cross. There is grace on one side and judgment on the other. Come on. If there's no judgment, then there's nothing for grace to cover. There's no purpose of grace. The sacrifice is meaningless. Come on, church. This is just the truth, right? Jesus didn't just die on the cross to forgive us as an act of grace. God poured out his wrath onto Jesus as an act of His holiness. So what we have to understand is when we talk about forgiveness that holiness and forgiveness are forever tied together. The truth is the front side of the cross of forgiveness is this abundance of grace that flows and overflows onto us. It's what forgiveness means to us, how it affects us, uh, how it closes the gap of intimacy between me and God, how it deals with my shame and my brokenness and my condemnation, how it gives me salvation and it opens up the door of heaven for me. That's the front side of the cross that we love to talk about and live in. But on the backside of forgiveness, the backside of the cross is the holiness of God. The reason there needed to be a forgiveness event and not just a move on, move past, move forward moment is because of the holiness of God. And the holiness of God, my friends, is the ground for the why behind the how we as people of faith see And work with forgiveness towards people. It's that forgiveness and the walking it out that is a holy act. We actually are acting holy when we walk out forgiveness. Why? Because it's a reflection of God. It's a reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection of our King to the world that they don't see on a regular basis. It's part of us being a disciple of Jesus. It's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.16 to be holy because God is holy. Walking out forgiveness is part of being holy in our lives. The front side is how God interacts with us in giving us forgiveness. But the back side is how we, walk, how we interact with God because of forgiveness. Because we've been forgiven, how do we interact with God? That's the back side of the of forgiveness of the cross. It's how we allow His holiness to form how we forgive others and how we bless Him in doing it. I think the challenge is for us and this is where I struggled a lot early on as uh, an early believer in my life. I think for many of us we probably struggle here. The challenge is that I think as a people when it comes to forgiveness we have taken forgiveness reconciliation, and restoration, and lump them all together into one big pot. We made them all the same thing. Like, if you forgive somebody, then you got to be best buddies again. It's all the same, right? And if you're not best buddies, then you have not forgiven. We've thrown them all into the same pot, and that's what gets crazy. Not understanding that they are part of a process of freedom, of peace, of unity, of holiness. They're a, proce- a part of the process of that that comes both from the love of God for us yeah. and it influences how we love God back. Yeah. They're part, can I just say it? That process is part of loving Him. Right. It's part of loving Him. And those not the Bible tell us in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, it's a part of loving Him with everything we've got, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, with everything that got hurt and everything that's been betrayed? Isn't that the first and greatest commandment? And then they tie it together. Jesus says, it's just not even being loving God. It's actually understanding that part of loving Him is loving others. With the same type of love that you and I got, I'm not saying it's easy. It's just the call of discipleship. Come on, picking up my cross and following Jesus is not easy, but it is holy. It is not easy, but it is life. It is not easy, but it's peaceful. It is not easy, but there's hope in it. Like, this isn't easy. Come on, church is not easy, but this is where life is. So, out of who He is comes this process of forgiveness. And reconciliation and restoration that is an expression of love and holiness. But because our soul, stay with me, our soul has memories. Your soul has memories. It remembers. And if we are honest with ourselves, we have probably developed more memories with the hurt of the offense than we have established memories of the love of God in our life. That's why if in these moments our soul gets scared We get scared. I'm like, I got got a thousand. God, I'm going to raise my hand. I've got a thousand reasons why I'm not going through this. Because we are scared and our soul begins to look for ways out. If you've ever looked for a loophole in forgiveness, join the crowd. You're human. You've got a pulse. Good on you. Because the trap, my friends, in this modern world, in our modern Christian world, is that believers tend to look for a loophole in the forgiveness process to justify or quantify why we did or why we did not do what we did. We're like, yeah, but you got to understand. Like, I'm, I'm all about forgiveness. Come on, somebody. But, but you know, I mean, I, I, I did all this, but we're, our soul looks for loopholes. But disciples embrace That they are called to walk in the holiness of the forgiveness process. Called. We are called to walk in the holiness of it. The reality is, though, our souls love loopholes. Man, they're looking for the escape clause to holiness. All the time. What's my escape clause to holiness? It's like in the Santa Claus. If you ever watch the Santa Claus movie, he's like, "Uh, did you put on the suit? Yep, then you became Santa. Our soul is like, "Um, you did the crime? Come on, somebody. You do the time. That's the loophole. Pastor Danielle, Pastor D put together this top ten list of the reasons why we don't forgive, we don't want to forgive. So I'm going to do it David Letterman style. Come on, I'm going to go old school. Top ten reasons why we don't like to forgive. Number ten, we have been hurt by others in the same, uh, in, in the past, who have committed the same offense. I don't want to do it again. Number nine, we see ourselves as better than our offenders. Pride. Number eight, oh, someone just nudged their neighbor. Uh, number eight, we've stopped valuing the relationship after the offense. Number seven, we don't want the person to hurt us again. Which leads to number six, we wanna hurt the person. <laughs> Come on. Number five, why we don't forgive. It's easier to feel anger in unforgiveness than it is to feel the pain of the process of forgiveness. Number four, we wanna control the situation. And withholding forgiveness is power. Number three, we think to forgive is to say that the offense wasn't hurtful. Number two, we think forgiveness lets people off the hook. And the number one reason we don't want to forgive is because we don't really believe they deserve it anyway. That's a Letterman throw right there. (laughs) Loopholes. I just read ten of them. And I'm sure our soul said amen to at least one of them. The truth is, though, that these loopholes are created through culture and not truth. They're created and reinforced by the the, the culture we grew up in or that we are living in or that we surround ourselves in when people around us say things like, well, there's some things that can't be forgiven. Family is the exception. You just have to forgive and forget. You just have to move on. Culture, 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 tradition, tradition. But we see this in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And Peter thought he was being really generous because culture and tradition said you only had to uh, uh, forgive your offender three times. After that, they're out of luck. Jesus said, Peter, you've been around me this whole time, you still don't get it. I'm not telling you seven times. I'm telling you seven times 70. He's not saying 490 times. He's saying keep doing it over and over. The heartbeat of God is forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness. Come on. He was trying to navigate forgiveness through his cultural perspective when Jesus was challenging him as a disciple to actually realize he was called to kingdom truth. That's why even at the end of this, Jesus tells a parable about a man and forgiveness and how amazing it is. In verse 35, he says, but listen to me, you have to forgive people from your heart. That word heart in the Greek actually means the place of memories. Jesus, in all of his love and grace, is saying, look, I get it. You're going to remember You're going to keep remembering, so you're going to have to keep forgiving them. That's why I'm telling you it can't be three times, because you're going to remember this more than four times, and seven times, and 400 times. You're going to keep remembering it, so every time you have a memory, there's got to be forgiveness of it. Oh, how free we could be. But these loopholes aren't simply created out of culture. The deeper issue is that they are reinforced through our pain, through our pain, when there is real betrayal, come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about, real betrayal, real hurt. Man, you can't just forgive and forget. Matter of fact, whoever said that, it's not realistic. It's not even biblical, by the way, because the only one who's called to throw your si- uh, uh, who could do that is God, who throws your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. But God never has called you and I to do that because he understands We will have memories, and every time that memory comes up, it will hurt. It's why he didn't leave us alone. He says, come on, that's why we've got to do it. Forgive the memory, forgive the memory, forgive the memory, forgive the memory. But pain, my friends, often gets in the way of that, doesn't it? If we're honest. There's this sad moment in Judges 14 where Samson, who's supposed to be this holy man of God and walk out holiness for his nation, he gets married, and in his betrothal time, He uh, he has a riddle. He makes a deal with uh, his wife's kinfolk. He's like, look, if you can solve this riddle, I'll give you 30 garments. And back then, like, you didn't have, like, a closet. You had a few pair of clothes. It was a big deal. So he gets mad. He gets ticked off at his wife because his wife betrays him and sells him out and gives them the answer to the riddle. So do you know how he handles the offense? Do you know how he handles the pain? He goes out and kills 30 innocent people and takes their clothes. Because hurting people hurt people. Because no matter what, when we don't deal with offense, offense will deal with us. The pain justified his action. I was betrayed by her. I'm going to fix the problem. And he went out, killed 30 folk, and gave those garments to those people. Here's the reality. Guys, we all have a pain meter inside of us. We have a pain meter. Then the deeper the pain, the wider the loophole towards forgiveness. And all of us have this natural fallen threshold, fallen threshold for pain. That justifies when it reaches that threshold why we can tap out on forgiveness. We all tap out. All of us. But this is why Jesus in His amazing love for us, in His grace towards us, in His understanding of who we are, it's why He teaches us how to pray in Matthew six twelve. It's why He says, man, every day be praying this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It's why He says, look, pray this way. Forgive me, Father. Forgive my sins as I forgive. As I forgive. As I forgive. He's reminding us that we need forgiveness every day. And that we need to be the the, the depositors of forgiveness as well. Every day. We can't just receive it. We have to be willing to give it. Because forgiveness has no limits. Because grace has no limits. This is not a good thing. It's a God thing we're talking about. But this is where the step into discipleship matters. Because there's a cost to it. But the cost becomes easier when we understand the backside of forgiveness. It's how we interact with the holiness of God. Because disciples understand that out of God's holiness comes a desire for freedom and intimacy. And that's what forgiveness brings to us. Forgiveness keeps that freedom and intimacy between us and God. It keeps us free with God. It removes everything, every obstacle. It leaves nothing in the way between God and ourselves. There's no remnants of that offense, of that grief that remain inside of us towards God. It doesn't deny the pain. It doesn't excuse the behavior. It simply recognizes that forgiveness is founded in the holiness of God. And out of that holiness comes God's purposes of freedom and intimacy with Him. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, when you forgive others, the Father easily forgives you. But when we don't forgive others, we are not walking in forgiveness with the Father. Why is Jesus saying that? He's understanding that God is calling us to forgive because he doesn't want anything between us. Nothing. Because here's the reality. And this is something that's challenging and it's hard to say. It's hard to grapple with. But unforgiveness is sin. I don't want to admit it. I wish I could justify it. But unforgiveness is sin. And sin is a separator. It separates us from intimacy and freedom with God. It's a separator. You know what it is. It's why the per- you're separated from the person who's offended you. It's a separator. And this is when our soul, this is where our soul, you, it tends to rise up in these moments and say things like this. It says, but I didn't do anything wrong in this situation. But I didn't do anything wrong in this Why is it sin? I didn't do anything wrong in this situation. That may be true. But you're also not doing anything right with this situation. One is a sin of commission, the other is a sin of omission. Right, right. Commission is doing something that I shouldn't be doing, omission is not doing what God has called me to do. Right. Sin's a separator, unforgiveness is sin. And God knows when that is left unchecked, it gives the foothold to the devil in our life. And that, left unchecked, will squeeze the life out of us. It's like the, the snake that slithered into the carpenter shop and in so doing slithered over the hand saw. And, and he felt a tinge of pain. And when he felt the tinge of pain, he bit into the saw and curled his body around it. And as he squeezed the saw, he felt more pain. And in reaction to that pain, he squeezed the saw more and more and more until he squeezed the life out of himself. And that's what we can do with unforgiveness. Man, we bite the offense and we squeeze it because we feel the pain. And then the pain comes and we squeeze it more and more and more till the spiritual life is squeezed out of us. Our spiritual intimacy with God, our spiritual intimacy with brothers and sisters, our spiritual intimacy if holiness is squeezed right out of us. I love what C.S. Lewis says about forgiveness. He says, forgiving does not mean excusing. I love that. Because we don't need to excuse the behavior of the person to forgive the person. Because the truth is, here's the truth, that forgiveness doesn't have anything to do with their behavior, but has everything to do with our behavior towards God. It's about our relationship with Him. Seeing, uh, seeing forgiveness as a reflection of how we live out holiness in our life. My friends, this is a heart issue. It's a hard issue. This is us with him. Forgiveness is always on us. It's never about someone else. It's not dependent on another. There's this beautiful moment in John chapter 20 that you may be familiar with. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he, uh, Thomas, do you remember the story? Thomas doubts. He's like, unless I see the scars, I'm not going to believe. So think about this for just a moment. Jesus appears to him. In a brand new resurrected body, everything is new. I mean, it's shiny. It's got the new Jesus smell on it, right? It's awesome. He's, got, he's glowing. He's walking through walls, right? He's ascending and descending on clouds. It's amazing. He has a brand new digestive tract so he can sit down and eat and have no problem. It's awesome. He has made everything new except he was willing to keep the scars for one reason, for the freedom of Thomas for the freedom of Thomas, for the freedom of somebody else. He said, look, I don't need to hide the scars. They're there, but I want to let you know that they're not going to keep me from you. I'm going to extend them to you because love costs. There's a cost to this thing called love, and that's what forgiveness is. And as disciples, we understand that forgiveness opens the door to reconciliation, and that reconciliation comes out of the holiness of God that desires peace. It's not just that God desires freedom and intimacy, it's that God desires peace. Why does God desire peace? Because He is peace. Matter of fact, it's one of His names. It's who He is. He is Yahweh Shalom, Jehovah Shalom. God is peace. It's the kingdom that Jesus brings. We're walking in a kingdom of peace. He is the prince of peace. Come on, John 14, 27 says, my peace I give you. I'm going to leave you my peace. And oh, by the way, Isaiah says, of that peace, there's going to be no end. So he is saying, and it's why on the cross, on the cross, God reconciles us to him. Us. He reconciles us. Colossians 1:20. He says, we didn't reconcile ourselves to God. God reconciled us to Him. How did He do it? By making peace. By shedding His blood on the cross. On the cross, He created an opportunity for us to be at peace with Him. Not because we deserved it. Because the backside of the cross proved we didn't. Because the backside of the cross poured out the judgment that was due us onto Him. He did it simply for one reason because he loves you and he loves the Father. The reality is, my friends, this desire for reconciliation comes from this place of realizing how important peace is to God. How much it's important to him. How it is such a part of who he is. Not just what he wants, who he is. So much so that He gave His only Son to establish it for us. The truth is, when it comes to establishing peace, it's on us. It's on us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that God has called you and I as disciples to be ministers of reconciliation. And as ministers of reconciliation, Romans 12.18 says, as far as it depends on you and I... We are meant to live at peace with one another. Now sometimes it does not depend on you. Come on. Sometimes there cannot be peace. But as long as it depends on you and I, we are to reconcile inside of ourselves so that there's an opportunity for peace. What does that mean? That I hold no hostilities towards the one who was hostile to me. I hold no grudges against the one who offended me. I remove all the clutter of hurt and continually submit the pain of the issue to Jesus over and over and over again. Why? So that I can give the possibility of restoration. So there could be a possibility of restoration. It's on me to declutter what's in me. So there's a possibility. Jesus shows this great example of this. In an often misunderstood verse in Matthew 21, Jesus goes in and he cleanses the temple. And you may know some of the story. He walks in and he flips the money changers tables over and he, he uses a whip. He chases people who are selling animals out. And he's just, there, there's this amazing moment of Jesus's fury. And we sometimes misunderstand why. The reason why he was doing that is because there were things in the way of people finding forgiveness and being restored to a right relationship with God. See, these people were selling tainted. Uh, offerings they were selling wounded animals which actually negated the sacrifice itself which means the people who paid that for that couldn't be forgiven they were unable to walk in the restoration of God so the holiness of Jesus demanded that there be something decluttered so that people could find forgiveness people could find hope people could find restoration again when I'm talking about this moment, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the things that you and, Allah, you and I have allowed in our own temple that could keep people from experiencing forgiveness and restoration if they come. Oh God, how many things I have in my temple that clutter. How many money changing tables I've set up that rob people from forgiveness and justified my actions. Pride and arrogance and fear and unhealed hurt and maybe a little bit of a desire for them to feel the pain that they gave me. Oh, that's in, that's in all of us. But it's not for them to declutter it. It's for us. It's in our temple. It's what God gave us to be holy. And finally, my friends, if we're willing to do that, We as disciples can understand that God's desire is for unity in his community. Because God is a God of unity. Everything in the Bible is about unity, restoring the broken to one. Those who are lost coming home. The the lost sheep finding a shepherd. Come on. He is unity in community. He is three in one. He is the Trinity. He created us in community. He created his bride for unity in community. He's longing for his, his fallen world to be restored into the restoration process. It's why Jesus, in John 17, his prayer, his prayer to God as he's leaving, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says this, God, make them one as you and I are one. Here's my heart as I'm leaving, as I'm being arrested, as I'm going to the cross. Daddy, here's my cry. Make them one because it's the heartbeat of God. Lost relationships restored for us with Him and us with them. However, here's the caveat. Here's what makes it difficult to navigate this part. Because this is the only part of the forgiveness process we cannot do alone. See, whereas forgiveness and, restor- and reconciliation is dependent on the forgiveness of us, right. restoration requires the other person being willing to change. True. Being willing to change. Yeah. It's like at the cross. Holiness is the only ground upon which restoration can be founded. It's why it requires repentance. Repentance. Like, it's not just enough to say to God, I'm sorry. The Bible tells us we have to repent. Repentance is coming to God and saying, man, I'm stupid. I messed up. Please forgive me. And then turning around and walking in a different direction. It takes a change in the way that we walk out life. It requires a change. As a disciple of Jesus, I can't come to him, get forgiven, and keep walking the same way that I walked before. I have to turn around and walk in God's direction with God as he's walking out. That's what repentance looks like. So when we understand this process, the reality is forgiveness deals with sin on a personal and spiritual level. Reconciliation deals with sin on a judicial level. That means we hold no punishment for the sinner. Just like Jesus, as our high priest, took our sin to forgive us of our sin and left no wrath for you and I, there is no wrath from us to the offender. But restoration deals with sin on a relational level. It's what degree of relationship is possible now, if any at all. God's desire, my friends, is unity in community. But the real question sometimes is, is that really possible? Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. See, the issue is when someone is living in disagreement to God's truth, disagreement to what holiness and wholeness looks like, there's no room for unity. I can't come in agreement into agreement with someone who does not agree with God on what is holy because I can't agree that that is a foundation for my life. Therefore, there's no possibility at that moment for restoration. Why? Because the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. We can't actually walk in unity when one person, think about that, if one oxen is walking in one direction, and the other oxen that is yoked together is walking in the other direction, both of them will strangle themselves. God wants agreement. There's power in agreement. But agreement must be founded in the one who died on the cross. It cannot come from the crowd around the cross. I know in my own life. Hey, I'm preaching this. I'm not pre- I'm, this is to me. So I, you're, you're, You get to read my journal today. This is just me with God working out issues. Because if I'm honest, there are people I didn't want to restore life with. Come on. Have you been hurt and betrayed by people? You're like, I'm good without them. I'm good without them. But then when you allowed God to do that work, man, there, there have been times that I've learned such amazing things about myself in the middle of it, about people in the middle of it, about the beauty of God in the middle of it. But then there's people. There are people that I so desperately desperately, desperately want to be restored to. But we can't agree on what holiness looks like. We can't agree on what health looks like. There's an unwillingness to change. So there's no way for restoration to happen. Because restoration can only happen when it's founded on holiness. Proverbs 17, verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats the matter, and that word is continual action, repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats it. It'll separate close friendships. You can't walk with someone in restoration like that. When there's not an agreement on what health and holiness looks like, there's no way for unity. But here's the kicker. It breaks God's heart. And in it, here's the check that I have to check. There should be no smugness in us. There's no room for smugness. There's desperation in prayer. Besieging heaven. Oh God, please bring unity. I know it's your heart. God, please do something that only you can do. I can't change a heart. I can't change a mind. I can't break someone. God, please, oh God, do something in them. Do something in me. There needs to be a besieging of heaven. Because if we're okay sitting without unity, it's somewhere inside there's a pride that says I'm good and they're not. I've got it together and they're messed up. God's cool with me and he's not cool with them. We are missing the point that it is breaking the Father's heart that there's no unity in community. When we talk about other churches, when we, when we text and we, and we do social media about other Christians, we are breaking the Father's heart. It doesn't make us look better because someone else fell. It doesn't make us more holy because someone else is struggling. It makes us broken. There's the backside of this thing. And it's who he is. And the truth is not every relationship can be restored. But every relationship should be wrapped in forgiveness and reconciliation because that's on us. And maybe, just maybe, as we're walking this out and I'm getting ready to close. But can I encourage you, if you're on this side and you've been like trying to restore and it doesn't work. I want to encourage you. We might need to consider the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 that says, If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. I think the truth is there are a lot of Christians, a lot of us in, in, in this world today that are walking in the forgiveness and reconciliation with God but are not walking in the restoration of God because we are not walking in repentance. Because if there is no repentance, there is no restoration. Oh, we, we'll get from him what he gives us, which is Forgiveness. We'll get from Him what He gives us, which is reconciliation, nothing between us. But at the end of the day, there's a coldness, there's a distance between ourselves and God because we're not walking in the direction of God and repentance. The truth is God's greatest commandment is to love Him and to love others with that love. Love and forgiveness can't exist outside of one another if we love him we must forgive them doesn't mean we need to be restored doesn't mean they are back in our life at the same level they always have been before that's a different message for a different day but if we love him we must forgive if we won't forgive them then we're not actively walking in love with him and that's where the breakdown is because we are allowing the breakdown between us and them to become a breakdown between us and him. Why is forgiveness important? Because we are allowing the breakdown between us and them to become a breakdown between us and him. Maybe aspiring to forgive, Danielle said this to me the other day, she said maybe aspiring to forgive is the wrong goal. Maybe aspiring to love should be the goal. And forgiveness will be the result. If our only reason for forgiving is Jesus, that's the only reason we need. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We cannot live only in the grace that flows from the front side of the cross and refuse the holiness that flows from the back. To love is to forgive. Love the Lord your God with everything you got and with that love turn it outward and love others. Nothing I spoke about today is easy and everything I spoke about today is wrapped in pain. How do I know? Because it was wrapped in love and pain and sacrifice and choice and holiness and hurt and freedom and peace and unity all wrapped together in the same thing. I don't expect you to get it right today, get it perfect. Our hope today is that we can start the journey. journey of forgiveness and reconciliation and possibly restoration. Not because they deserve it, but because He does. Let's pray. Oh God, forgive us. Oh God, forgive us. Oh God, forgive us. us. Forgive us. Forgive us for the pride. Forgive us. Forgive us for the times we've justified. Forgive us for the times we've quantified, Lord God. Why? Forgive us for our smugness. Help us in our hurt. Jesus, we cry out to you. Yes, we can't do this alone. Yes, Jesus. There are things deeper than I'm willing to go hurt deeper than I'm willing to look at. God, please. Holy, holy, holy are you, God. Bring that holiness here today. Freedom and peace, unity, that's what God desires for you. Come, Lord God, come. Jesus. just gonna take a moment we're gonna take a moment of silence we can't be afraid of silence in church I was used to be so afraid of silence in church because I was thinking man people start thinking about their lunch and thinking about going and looking at their watches and if you do that that's all that's on you that's all right but the word says be still and know that I'm God so maybe today can we just take a moment of stillness and let God speak to the brokenness that's in us, the fight for why everything that was said today is too hard to do, we know that this forgiveness is part of seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living we can't change others hearts but we can change our heart towards you so my friends we're going to just pray out loud in a second and I'm really going to ask you whether this is your first time saying these words or maybe you've been a disciple of Jesus for a while but you've enjoyed his forgiveness and his reconciliation. But man, that restoration thing, that repentance thing, we need to get it right today. And I'm just going to ask, we're just going to pray this God, I give you my whole heart, right? We're just that's all we're going to say. Pray, God, I give you my whole heart. God, I give you the right to do whatever you need to do in it. I'm asking you to heal my wounds and to help me to forgive. That's what we're going to pray. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me out loud. Realize you're not alone in this room. <laughs> There's power when we pray it together. So, if that's what you're longing for today, if that's in your spirit, just pray this with me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my whole heart today. I'm holding nothing back. Forgive me for my smugness, for my sinfulness. Help me, Jesus. To forgive those that I have not forgiven. Forgive me for not forgiving those I have not forgiven. Fill me with your spirit. Heal my wounded heart. I give you full permission to go deeper than ever before. To uncover what needs to be uncovered to bring things out of the darkness and into the light for i choose you i choose to love you with everything i have in jesus name amen and amen and amen you just take a moment? We're going to pray the Lord's prayer in a second. But before we do, the Bible says if you come to the altar and you realize you have an offense with someone to actually leave your gift at the altar and go bring forgiveness. We may not be able to leave this room to go see them right now, but we can in the spirit. Is there that person right now? Can you just stop for a moment? Leave the altar right now. Say their name. Say it to God. Speak to their spirit. Say, I forgive you. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. I forgive you. I hold no grudge against you. Speak it. Forgiving is not excusing. But it is freedom, it is peace, it's getting rid of the stuff that makes restoration impossible. Say their name, I forgive you. I leave it right here, I'm leaving it at the altar, I'm leaving it at the altar. Offense, you have no power over me. Devil, you've been lying to me for so long. You've got no power. I denounce your lies. Soul, I know you're bruised, and I know you're battered, but I believe that my God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God that heals, and I know that he can actually come and turn my mourning into dancing. He he can actually uh, take a broken reed and make it live again. He, he can take a desert and bring water into the midst of it. He can take a rock and bring water out of it that speak to your soul and say I know that you've been battered. I know that you've been bruised but my God is a healer. I speak healing over that brokenness. I speak healing over that abuse. I speak healing over that offense. I speak healing over those years and years and years and years of being disappointed time and time and time again where you had hope for that person and you hoped that the relationship would be restored and it was broken again and again and again and again and you reached your 491st time and you said no more, no more. I speak peace and healing over that wound in the name of Jesus. That father that walked out. Come on. That person that molested you. That that best friend who betrayed you. Come on. That's Spouse that walked away from you I speak healing in the name of Jesus over that daddy we say those things cannot define us and they will not rob us the thief has been caught forgiveness catches the thief reconciliation catches the thief And when the thief is caught, your word says the thief must restore seven times. So I'm praying over each brother and sister in this room, everybody who's online today, in the name of Jesus. We are praying right here, right now, that as we forgive and as reconciliation happens in our heart, that the thief that stole, the thief that stole relationship, the thief that stole peace, the thief that stole hell hope, the thief that stole freedom, the, peace that st- the thief that stole intimacy is caught in Jesus' name. And those things will be returned to us sevenfold like we've never known before. You are the God of the impossible. So do the impossible. Guys, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. If you can just stand with me where you are. If you're kneeling, you can still kneel. If you're on the floor, you can stay on the floor. But I think before we leave, it's important that we pray this prayer And I I want to prescribe it to us as a prayer that we pray every day this week. As a church, every day this week. Like when you get up, pray this prayer. I'm not talking, this isn't about, if you have a Catholic background or a religious background, I'm not talking to do a liturgical religious thing. I'm talking about us getting to the meat of this bad boy. Getting it inside of our spirit. Let's pray this together. Our Father. Who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In those places of memory we bring forgiveness to the scent that reminds us of that moment. We speak to your nostrils and tell your nostrils to not smell it any longer. That scent is lost to you. Lost to you. Nostrils, speak. No, it is lost to you. To that sound, that voice, that song that triggers those memories. We tell your ear to be deaf. To that sound, to that voice, to that music, to that song in the name of Jesus. To that that sight that triggers those memories. We speak to your eyes and say be blind to that sight even now. Put scales over those eyes, Father, of holiness so that they are not triggered in Jesus' name. Where there's hurt, we speak healing. Desperation, we speak peace. Unwillingness, we speak brokenness. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Holy, holy, holy in Jesus' name. I was going to have Pastor Ron come up and give offering. We're, we're just not at that place. So, this is what we're going to do. Pastor Ron, hang on to the offering message because I know we'll need it. I'm going to ask you to give. Here's the offering message there are envelopes around you, there's a QR code. You can put your phone on it. If it's not up on the screen, it's on the things. Giving matters here. Giving matters in the summer, giving matters in the winter, giving matters. We can't do this alone, and we can't do it without you. When you give, see the people around you, including the people on this stage, it matters. Sometimes love hurts, and it costs. So please give. Amen? Please give. That's, that, there's your offering message for today. Here's what we're going to do. Worship team, can you guys come up? Ron, John. Um, uh, we're just going to open the stage we're going to open this place as an altar service is done God bless you may the Lord bless you may his face shine upon you may you walk in his power every day of your life may you understand his goodness and his mercy in just a second if you want to go we love you thank you for being here today come back next week bring a friend There's freedom in this house. What we talked about today, there's freedom in this house. It ain't easy. There's freedom in this house. Thank God. Thank God that he wants freedom. We're going to open up the altar. We have some pastors. They'll be around if you want them to pray with you or if you just want to kneel down and be with God and deal with some business for a while with you and God. It's open. Father, right now, As we end the service, we are not asking you to end your presence here. We know that there's been hurt and pain, and we know that forgiveness is hard. And we know what it costs you, and we know what it's weighing on us. And so I pray for every person who stays and every person who goes. Every person who kneels and every person who drives. I pray today that whether they're kneeling or driving, that you minister in their heart. That Holy Spirit, you go with us in power today. That you uncover the things that we've covered up. That you cause us to look in areas in closets of our life and of our heart that we haven't looked in for years upon years, God. I pray for the bomb of Gilead, the, the Holy Spirit to rain down in our lives to bring health and wholeness and completion to bring us health. Move in only the ways that you can move. We choose you. Jesus, we choose you. We choose you in Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Altar is open. So is the lobby. But if God, if the Spirit has moved in your heart in this service, don't leave without doing some business with God first.
1: i